Hello, and welcome to the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast. In today's episode, we interview Eric Gopi Singh of Talking Hockey, and I would like to welcome my new co-host, Matthew Agrippa. Hey, Brody. It's a pleasure to be a part of the team. We have a great interview. We have a great interview in store for you guys today. Let's get right into it, shall we? Welcome to the Broly Talks Hockey Podcast, and in today's episode, we are proud to welcome Eric Gopi Singh from Talking Hockey and the Talking Hockey Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you very much for joining us, Eric. How are you doing? I'm not doing too bad. How are you guys doing? And uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. Doing pretty well. So uh, I guess we should just get right into it here. Yeah, let's get into it. All right, so uh, let's backtrack a little bit before we get into the into some NHL news. Tell us what gave you the idea and the inspir- and what inspired you to start a hockey Instagram page that has amassed over 17.7 thousand followers and how this led to you guys joining the Blue Wire podcast group. Uh, it's kind of a long story, but the short of it was I was uh, graduating university. Uh, I had a couple months left of university and I was still trying to figure out what I really wanted to do after. I uh, started to apply for a bunch of positions with uh, different sports networks, um, Sportsnet, TSN, uh, all the, all those guys basically uh, got an interview with one of them. I thought it went pretty well, but I didn't end up getting the job. And uh, I kind of pitched them a couple of ideas that I had for their Instagram specifically, just because I didn't like the way they were currently being run. And I thought they could improve their engagement by implementing all these different ideas that I had. Uh, but apparently they didn't agree. <laughs> so I decided, uh, screw it. I'm going to kind of do it myself. Um, and then right basically a day or two later, started up the Talking Hockey page, um, spent a little while trying to figure out a name, and that one sounded the best, in my opinion, uh, and basically just started growing it from there organically, uh, follower by follower, until we started you know, being able to reach enough people where I didn't have to go and comment on 100 posts a day just to get a couple followers every now and then. And So now we're growing uh, 50 to 80 followers a day, typically, uh, sometimes as much as 100. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how it how it started, basically. And then along with the podcast, as our audience grew, I just, we me and a couple of my buddies said, you know, it'd be great to have a podcast going, um, you know, create a close relationship with our audience and uh, see how many we can convert from the page over to the podcast. And obviously, we started up a website and everything like that as well. So that was kind of that was kind of the business plan. And now. You know, we're registering the business. We're getting some ad sponsorships. Uh, Blue Wire has us set up with ads as well. So we're bringing in a little bit of money now. And we're hoping to just continue to grow the page, grow the uh, grow the business, grow revenue, and all that good stuff, basically. So right, for us, and- the, for, uh, for, sorry, for, but, uh, for those who don't know, like... Um, how everything works with uh, blue with blue wire and like the uh, the hosting companies like take us through take us through pretty pretty much what they do what they do uh, to help you guys out yeah so uh, basically what blue wire does is oh, so blue wire is a sports media company basically so they basically uh, brought on hundreds of different sports podcasts so they have it broken down into all the different uh, leagues so they have the NFL NBA NHL now, MLB, um, then they have, you know, boxing, MMA, all that kind of stuff. 
so they have all they have podcasts across the entire network and they basically they reach out to you if they see your podcast see if you're doing well or see think that you might have potential as a podcast and they reach out to you say hey you can come onto our network we'll handle a lot of the back end stuff for you and then we'll get you ads and they take a percentage of the ads and everything like that which is fine cuz you know if you especially if you're smaller and you're only getting a couple thousand views or something like that it's hard to go and find sponsorships individually so they have the same they have the same ads basically across dozens or hundreds of different podcasts so to bring more value to the uh, business so basically they reached out to us said they really liked what we were doing they gave a listen to a couple of the podcast episodes they liked our numbers they liked uh, I guess the group that we had together for the podcast and um, they decided to bring us on. It took a, took a couple of months of back and forth, figuring out how exactly this is going to work, figuring out the tech side of bring switching platforms and everything like that. But once we were on, um, they, they, they're very hands off. So basically they let us handle all the content stuff. They don't tell us what to do at all on the content side. All they do is just tell us you have to have an ad here, here and here or here and here one or one, one of three uh, ads basically um, every show. And basically they say have a minimum of one show a week and you can continue from there. So it's a really great relationship where, you know, they can help us out. They give us new connections within the industry and then they bring us in some ad revenue just so uh, <laughs> some extra money on the side never heard, I guess. All right. And you talked a little that? bit about the group. So how do you, how do you guys really meet with the group? Like, uh, how'd you, so, how would you in the group get together? Yeah, so there's four of us on the podcast. Um, originally, it was just... So, I should say that I had a co-founder with me when I started uh, Talking Hockey. Uh, it was my idea to start the page and everything like that, and I kind of brought him in a week or two into the process just because I realized it was going to be a lot of work to bring a page like that off the ground uh, really quickly, especially because I didn't have any experience doing that kind of stuff. So he was along there with me. And then over time, he kind of faded into the background a little bit. But at the very beginning, he was a huge help. Um, so he was my best friend, one of my best friends from uh, university. We lived together, you know, four years, basically, on my floor in first university. So that's how we met there. And then the other two guys that are on the podcast, um, they're actually old high school friends, which was kind of funny. Um, I hadn't talked to them in years and they were actually much better friends with one of my other uh, friends. And they kind of, and he kind of brought us all together and said, Hey, you guys all love hockey. Like, you guys will get along great. Um, and that's kind of how the podcast idea kind of started. And uh, one of my buddies, our producer, producer Luke, he, um, he uh, wanted to be a producer for podcasts anyways. And he has his own podcast on the side that he kind of started along the same time as we started the Talking Hockey podcast. So it worked out great for him. He got all this experience. Now he can apply it to his real job as well as his own podcast and this podcast. So he's just flying right now, producing basically three podcasts. So that's kind of how we all met together. If I may just interject for a quick second, uh, getting back to Blue Wire, how does it feel to be uh, to be mentioned in the same uh, along the same uh, lines as uh, noted NHL All Star MVP John Scott from the Dropping the Gloves <laughs> podcast? Yeah, that's like it's pretty cool. Uh, we were ho- we're hoping to have him on the podcast sometime as well. Um, we definitely disagree on a lot, but I think it'd be really fun to debate him and talk to him and see, you know, where his head's at with the current NHL landscape. So I'm hoping to have him on very soon. But he's a very very busy guy. And getting uh, speaking of John Scott uh, and his opinions, uh, recently recently he just po- he just posted. Uh, 
I don't remember. I don't remember her said if it was a tweet or uh, if it was a post. If it was something on the podcast regarding the OHL taking hot taking hitting out of hockey for the season due to the COVID nineteen pandemic. What are your thoughts on uh, on that? Yeah, it looks like a complete mess of a situation. Um, I if you look at the other Canadian leagues, uh, or you look at the other hockey leagues across the world in the U.S. and Canada, even in Europe. None of them have instituted any rule like that because they know that you, if you don't have body checking in the NHL, you still have puck battles, you still have face-offs, you still have guys sitting near each other on the benches, you know, and they're all spitting and they're all talking and all that stuff. So I fail to see, and I think a lot of leagues feel the same way, is that they fail to see how removing body checking is actually going to do anything to prevent the spread. And I don't think... If you look at kind of the science behind it, and I've read a couple different uh, opinions from different doctors, um, and all of them have basically said, and other epidemiologists as well, and they basically all say, if you're playing hockey, you can't really prevent the spread of COVID, but you can try to limit it. But body removing body checking isn't something that limits the the spread. So at the end of the day, it looks like more of a PR move from the the government, basically telling the OHL that... It, it, it kind of just seems like a PR move where they just don't want to, they want to start up hockey, but they want to start it up and make it look like it's going to be safe, even though it really won't be in any meaningful way. Yeah. Like I personally, I agree with you and I know other, and I, and I know a bunch of others who they agree as well. Like, and especially in, like it's hockey. Yeah. Like just as you, as you alluded to, it's hockey. It's not going to be able to stay to stay six feet apart from each other. You're going to be, you're going to have the puck battles in the corners. You're going to have like everybody sitting on the bench talking. You're going to have the lock, the locker rooms with everybody together. Like even sitting yeah, in the penalty yeah. box, like yeah, there's no way around we, it. Yeah. And I was going to say, now we don't know how this is going to affect the draft. Right. So everyone's got different opinions on how this is going to impact, you know, all the players that are in the OHL right now, but a lot of them, in my opinion, if this rule holds, they should be looking to play elsewhere when the season starts up again. They should be going, especially the dra- draft eligible guys. A lot of those guys should definitely be going over to the U.S., going to a different Canadian league, going to Europe if they can, because that's definitely it's definitely going to hurt their draft stocks. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a big, you know, big power forward guy or you're a small skilled player. It'll hurt how how scouts uh, evaluate your talent, right? So. It'll be very interesting to see what all these OHL players kind of do because it's going to impact them majorly, especially the development time. Even guys that have already been drafted, a lot of those guys, you know, they need the development and you can't have development when players aren't, uh, basically aren't playing a big part of the game, right? Like body checking, it's a thing. It's going to be in the NHL. It's going to be in the AHL. At any level that they play in competitively, they have body checking. So... And if they, especially when you're younger and you have all this, you know, valuable development time, it's going to be hard for draft eligible players to kind of continue their development curves. Yeah, honestly, I feel like it's going to, I feel like you're going to be seeing, like, like you said, like more people are going to be going to Europe and, every, and everywhere, like, just like what Austin Matthews did a few years ago, going from, instead of playing, instead of playing in the US, USHL, going to CHL. Going to uh, Switzerland to play with Zurich and make some money before their NHL careers. So, on my like my personal opinion, OHL hockey is gonna like the skill level is gonna go downhill from uh, for the next until this pandemic is over. You're gonna and those who live in Europe, they're gonna see the best hockey that they've seen in years. 
Yeah, if you already look at some of the leagues, a lot of them, the SHL, um, some of the Finnish leagues, and all, all these leagues just had an influx of prospects. Some even reg- some NHL players, you know, like George Thornton's playing over there and stuff like that. So Europe's going to have the best hockey they've had in probably since the last lockout, I'd say. Uh, so lucky for them, I guess. Noted Leaf legend, Joe Thornton. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Brody, do you have anything to say on this topic? Yeah, I have a quick question. Um, you said players could be moving elsewhere. And with their like contracts and agreements, is it really possible for them to leave? Or is could you see like a player strike happening? So, yeah, they definitely can leave. It's just that they can't leave. So with the agreement with the OHL and the AHL and NHL, they aren't going to be able to just leave their teams and go play in the AHL, unfortunately. Uh, so... The only options they really have are moving to other, moving to the U.S. Any of the U.S. leagues, or moving, going to college maybe, or going overseas. And nothing uh, prevents them from doing any of that. But they can't go into the AHL or NHL, which is well, they can go into the NHL, I guess. But most of them are obviously aren't going to be ready for that. But that's really their only options, unfortunately. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. If they're if they are drafted by a team uh, by an NHL team and they hold the rights, can they not loan them to? Um, can they not loan them to like say a Swiss league team or a Swedish league team? Yeah. No, like I've seen that I've can. seen that happen in years. Yeah, I've seen that happen in years past. I just honestly cannot remember for the life of me if those players were still CHL eligible or not. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a good question. On if they're still, C- I think, I believe, even if they go to Europe for a year, they can still come back into the CHL. I'm I'm fairly certain on that. But no, no, sorry, think- sorry to interrupt, but that's that's not what I was saying. What I meant was like, are they still like the players that like I've seen teams loan to Europe? Like, are they still in the requirement where uh, where they can't play in the in, in the AHL? They can only play like, oh, they yeah, go yeah. straight to the CHL. Yeah, you're. So if that yeah, if that would be a possibility, no. So even if they get loaned to Europe, they can't they can't go play in the uh, AHL. That won't, that isn't how it works, unfortunately. Which obviously it really sucks for a lot of players' development, especially players that. Clearly, are too good for the OHL, but not good enough to go play in the NHL yet. Uh, and then, yeah. uh, obviously, a lot of that. And the reality is, like, we talk about all these players and say, "Oh, they should go to Europe. They should go to the US or whatever to go play." But it's not that easy, right? You have players that have to leave their families, these kids, seventeen-year-old, eighteen-year-old kids, moving away. And obviously, that happens a fair bit in hockey and professional sports in general. But it isn't as easy a decision as, oh, "Okay, the OHL doesn't have body checking." So I'm going to go play in Europe, right? You need a team that wants you. Yeah. You need to be good enough. You need to be able to, you know, just move your entire life over. You know, guys have girlfriends, families, et cetera, right? So it isn't uh, it isn't as easy just, as just saying it. Yeah, and a guy like Alex Turcott, would he be able to go if the AHL starts back up? Since he's a college player, can college players go back? Yeah, so there's no rules about college players. So like college players can leave whenever they want, but then they can't come back. Right, they can't go back to college after playing professionally, so that's the risk that they take. But obviously, guys like Turcott, he isn't—he's ready for the AHL at least minimum, and possibly close to being ready for the NHL. So those kind of guys don't have to worry about that. Luckily for uh, luckily for them. All right, and on to the next topic, I guess. What are your thoughts on the current state of the NHL? Uh, with regards to what? 
Uh, like the possibility of division realignments, all Canadian division, mm. like that. That's sort of I think stuff. honestly, a Canadian division might be one of the best ideas that they could ever come up with. I think a Canadian division. I think coming from a Leaf out, fan, <laughs> yeah, coming from a Leaf, even <laughs> coming from any, like obviously coming from a Leaf fan, that's huge for them. They don't have to face Tampa or Boston in the first or second round. Makes it a lot easier for them to go far in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff potentially. If they do as well as they're projected to do, but even ignoring fandom, a Canadian division would be one of the most watched. Kind of, it, it would increase viewership in the NHL substantially, especially across Canada. Right? Like, there's no, there's no doubt that some something in the NHL is a little stale when it comes to the regular season. I think, and I think most people would agree with that. The same uh, 82 game schedule every single year, year after year same divisions, nothing new. Like, I think this would be something new where m- new people would come in or pe- people that have lost a little bit of interest gain a little bit more interest, right? Like, even me as a huge hockey fan, the divisions that they have right now over the course of an 82-game season, it gets kind of boring in the middle of the season, right? Like, the, yeah. Uh, after, like, probably November, at the end of November, probably December to, like, basically the trade deadline gets kind of boring, I'd say. Like, there's a lull in the season there where not much is happening. And then you get the trade deadline, you get excited again, all these new players on new teams, and then finishing off the regular season and the horse race to the playoffs. That gets exciting, but it's an 82-game season. It gets kind of boring in between. I think a short 40, I think they're talking about a 41-game season, uh, regular season, and uh, all-Canadian division. I think that would probably be, I think that would increase viewership tremendously. And I think it would be a really interesting idea for the NHL to explore doing. I hope they do do it because I think it would be super fun to watch every single night, you know, Calgary versus um, the Flames or the Flames versus Edmonton or uh, Montreal versus Toronto, right? You, you, you get to see Montreal versus Toronto, what, three or four times a season, basically? Increase that up to, what, like seven or eight times? You see huge rivalries there. I think it would be really exciting for, for all of Canada, basically, to see something like that. And uh, okay, just I just got to correct you there. You said you said Calgary versus the Flames. Cal, you meant Calgary oh, versus Edmonton. Yeah, I meant yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, like you were saying, like you were saying, um, like I I completely agree. Like the NHL started, especially with these division realignments, like that they've had for the past few years. It's getting extremely stale. Like the past, what it, what's it been? The past three years, four years that you've seen t- Tampa, Boston, Toronto, one, two, three in the in the Atlantic. Exactly, like something right? has to change. Exactly. So and it's like, like again, yeah. Continue. This is also yeah. Sorry, this is also coming from a Lee. I'm a, I'm a Lee fan as well. I have to admit, and uh, I am it's really I, I I'm a little bit biased with this because I'd also love to see Toronto just destroy that Canadian division. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like but yeah, so Toronto would definitely be the best team going into that Canadian division. I don't think there's many people that would deny that. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than apparently Craig Button, who thinks they're the fourth best team in Canada, or some nonsense <laughs> like that, um, or, but, Steve, or Steve Simmons. Or yeah, there you go. The uh, the crazy. But he's but, but he's also been, yeah, he's also been out to get the Leafs for years. My God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think there is something about the regular divisions as well, where you know I would love to see the Leafs face Boston in the playoffs and actually win for once, uh, or I'd love to see a Tampa versus Toronto playoff matchup but that again just because the divisions get realigned doesn't mean you can't see something like that it just means it probably won't happen in the first round it'll happen in the second or third round or whatever depending on how they align the divisions and everything 
But uh, there is there is still the possibility. There would still be the possibility, hypothet- hypothetically, considering they would have, like, unless unless like I'm under, I was understanding that wrong, they would still keep the whole wild card set up for the, for the playoffs. And you, there's still a possibility you could see a like a Tampa Bay and Boston playing Toronto in like this in the first second round, depending on what happens with yeah. the um, standings. Yeah, that exactly right. So it doesn't completely prevent Toronto from losing in the first round to one of those guys, but I guess the Canadian division does make it a little bit easier for them to at least face an easier team, and obviously you would expect the Lightning in Boston not to be in a wild card spot. You would expect to be them expect for them to be one and two in their divisions. Um, obviously they'd probably be in the same division along with um, whoever whoever else on the East Coast, uh, however they decide to arrange, mm-hmm. arrange those divisions. Yeah. And uh, and you guys have to, like the chat. The possibility of seeing a Toronto Edmonton series, McDavid versus Austin for seven games is oh my god! It's the yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm watering at the mouth. Yeah, the new the new potential playoff matchups I think is even more interesting, right? Like you can see a Montreal versus Vancouver. You could see a Toronto versus Edmonton. Like all these new potential matchups that you never get to see, we'll get to see. And I think it, I think it'd, it'd be really exciting. And considering you know, Canada makes up a substantial amount of the NHL's revenue. I think a lot of Canadians would be so interested in watching their teams face other Canadian teams, right? Like the Canadian, the Canadian matchups during the regular season are the most watched games in the NHL typically, right? Like that's fairly obvious. Canada's a hockey country. So it's the home of hockey. Exactly. It's the home of hockey. So if you see Canadian teams facing up against each other constantly over a 40 game season, so it's still relatively short, so it's not gonna it's not gonna get stale when you're watching Toronto face Montreal for the twentieth time, right? The forty games, uh, they play each other five, six, seven times, whatever it, whatever it needs to be. Basically, a playoff matchup against each team. Uh, I think it I think it'll be super exciting for Canadians. Create huge new rivalries. Everyone's gonna be talking about them, fighting about them. It'll be very controversial. There'll be fights. You know, Chuck is gonna piss off. A lot of people, um, so it'll it'll be exciting for sure. Kachuk versus Wayne Simmons. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a, a trifecta fight. Yeah, that's that's the matchup we uh, we're living to see, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. As a Jets fan, I'm just sad I couldn't see uh, Buffalo and Kachuk. It's uh, a bit depressing, oh God, but Buffalo, Buffalo would kill that guy. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Oh yeah, my sure. god! Yeah, I'm sure Winnipeg fans will. Yeah. That. Just wait. Just wait till and he signs on with he said, Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> and you said uh, Canadian teams. Like, how would you rank the? Like, just I know it's a bit of a loaded question. Off the just, it's a bit sudden. But how would you rank the Canadian teams roughly if there were to be an all Canadian? Yeah. Division? So that's kind of a hard. It's it's a hard question because there's so many. Yeah unknowns right now still but i would say it's fairly easy to see toronto at the top and it's easy to see ottawa at the bottom so you can kind of start there start off with those two guys on opposite ends and then the middle gets a little a little funky i'll say i'll say a team like vancouver uh they could be you know i could see them coming up as high as second or third in the canadian division but i can also see them literally right above Ottawa, depending on the kind of goaltending they get going into next season, right? Like Holpe was a complete mess last mm-hmm. year and the year before that. And Demko, 
He's a very young goalie who had a great playoffs, but a not so great regular season. Um, and that's why they had to bring in Holpe. They had to bring in someone who actually, who's at least played in the NHL over a decent amount of time. So, And the reality is they lost Markstrom, who was a top five goalie in the NHL last year. And Vancouver allowed literally the most rush chances against in the league last season. So you're facing, you're putting in Holby and Demko again on a team that's going to be allowing a ton of breakaways, a lot, a lot of two on ones, a lot of three on twos and so on. And they could, those two could either thrive and do pretty well and carry Vancouver into the playoffs or Vancouver could completely fall out just because of the complete mess that they have back there. So Vancouver's hard to rank. I think Calgary, if Markstrom performs, Calgary can be second or third. I, I could see them fairly high. Um, Montreal seems like the best bet right now to be behind Toronto with Edmonton, I'll say. Um, Edmonton, might their goaltending worries me a little bit with Mike Smith back there. Uh, so I think, having said all this, I think I'd go Toronto number one, Edmonton number two, Montreal number three. Vancouver number four, Winnipeg number five, and uh, who am I missing? Calgary six. Ooh, maybe. Yeah, it's so it, it's hard. hard. <laughs> Wait, you know what? I'm gonna write this out quickly because okay, so Leafs number one, Oilers <laughs> right. number two, Montreal number three, Calgary four, Winnipeg five. Ooh. Then Ottawa, number seven. Who am I missing? I feel stupid right now. Oh, my missing God. the Canucks. Oh, now I have to think about the Canucks. Okay, Canucks ahead of Winnipeg. So Leafs, Oilers, yeah. Montreal, Calgary, Canucks, Winnipeg, Ottawa. I think that's the way I see it right now. All right, and yeah. Winni- again, with sense. Winnipeg, their defense is a mess. I don't know if they can rely on Hellebuck having – the one of the best goalie seasons I've ever seen. Um, so it, yeah. Winnipeg's a tough one for me as well. And, it, and in yeah, terms of Winnipeg, sense. it also uh, they also have to rely on uh, whether or not Patrick Line feels like actually having a good season this year. Yeah, if, if Line <laughs> can get back to his 40 goal form, that and he's going to be besides Stas, Stasny and uh, probably Ellers. So you get that amazing playoff line back together that performed insanely well for them on their you know, run to the conference finals. Uh, so I do like I do like Winnipeg's top six, but their defense and not their goaltending that bothers me, but their goaltending regressing back to, you know, top seven or top 10 versus best in the league. I think that that worries me mm-hmm. a little bit for them. So I got a question about Winnipeg. And I'm a Winnipeg Jets fan, so of course I'm going to ask this. How long do you think it'll take for the Jets to fix their decor? Well... Oh, that's interesting because they really could have arguably fixed it this past offseason. Um, Ryan Murray went for a fifth-round pick. Uh, Nate Schmidt went for a third-round pick. Uh, there there was guys there that went. The issue with Winnipeg is salary, right? Like, you look at their, you look at their team. Yeah. They don't have any cap space right now. They didn't have cap space to bring in those two guys, especially once they brought in Statsny at, I believe, $6 million. I think – I think – did Vegas retain – or? I'm not sure. I want to say six. I want to say six point. Sure yeah, yeah, I want to say six point five one year. Yeah. So again, so six point five million, and I don't think Statsny is worth worth that much. But yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna look into that center. right now. They needed the second line center to be honest. So especially with Brian Little out, so they had to bring in guy like Statsny. But again, 
they they also need to fix their defense. So they could have, mm-hmm. but they're also paying a lot of bottom six guys on their roster a lot of money. Adam Lowry makes, I want to say three to three point five. Uh, pro makes yeah, four or something, four point five. Uh, they they're paying a lot to the guys in their bottom six, and if you look at a lot of the best teams in the NHL, if they're if you're you don't want to be paying your bottom six a lot of money. Obviously, it's great to have a good bottom six, and Winnipeg does have a very solid bottom six. Adam Lowry's a great player. Pro is a great player. Um, whoever else is in that bottom six is making a little bit more than league men. Mm-hmm. But if you have, they have a top heavy roster, right? Like uh, Wheeler's making eight or eight million dollars. I want to say Shifu's making six. Yeah, uh, Kyle Connor's making six. Eller's making six. Uh, stats is making six mm-hmm. and then line is making five something so again you're paying a lot of top six you're playing all your top six forwards top six money but then you're also paying your bottom six forwards kind of big money uh, not big money but a lot a fairly bit money as well so they don't have money for the defense so if they want to address that they need to get rid of probably lowry maybe perot um and then then they could have brought in a guy like Ryan Murray who would, you know, fix at least the defensive side of Winnipeg's game. Maybe they could have brought in an H. Schmidt, a puck-moving defenseman. They don't have a lot of that on their blue line, which I thought would have been a really great fit. Uh, so that, that they can fix their... And next season, there's still going to be players going for very cheap. There's going to be, you know, second to third pair in defensemen going for very cheap. There's going to be a lot of movement around the NHL because of salary concerns and the flat cap. So they'll have another chance next offseason to get some players on the cheap. But this was their best opportunity, and they kind of failed. So um, I'd say another year. I mean, they're, they – sorry to interrupt, but um, they it's not like they like Winnipeg's failed completely right now. Like, they're still they're, – they do still have options. They do oh, still yeah. have, like, a Mackenzie Uyghur in, in Florida. And they st- there is still options yeah. left on the, mar- on the free oh, agent yeah. market, well, just as which I can, honestly, I can't remember – I can't remember – for the life of me, what defensemen are left or left over on the mark on the free agency well, still side of things, and also, and yeah. also just to con- uh, just to put some confirmation, Paul Stastny signed for the for one year at six point five million dollar cap hit with five million five and a half million salary. Yeah. Okay. So so they're saving a little bit of money on the salary, which is good for Winnipeg, but they're obviously still taking the cap hit. Um, obviously, Winnipeg can still do more. Like, there's still tons of rumors about a Patrick Line trade. Uh, I'm not so sure if that happens or not, and I'm not sure if they gonna, they're going to win that trade if they do trade him. But there's obviously still rumors about that. And again, Winnipeg next se- after next season, they're also going to have some cap issues, right? I think if you're looking at cap friendly right now, I think this is the last year of Line's deal. And if he puts up 40 goals, yeah. you're paying him eight nine million dollars plus, right? So yeah, yeah. Patty, like- Patty Line is done after this year, but they also have. Perot, his four point one two five million dollar contract's done after this year. They got Neil Pionk, he's an RFA, j- coming off a three million dollar contract. Lowry at two point nine, Cop at two point two eight. Okay, yeah, there you go. So at least they're and then uh, and then their goalie Lauren Lauren Bressois. Uh, Lauren he's making one point five million. Going through stats real quick. Yeah, I think he's worth it. I think he had some decent seasons in there. I, I think. You know, his save percentage is obviously going to be lower because he played on a terrible Winnipeg Jets defense team, yeah. defensive team. But, I, like, Winnipeg, they, they, if, as you mentioned, a lot of their, as I mentioned before, a lot of their bottom six guys are making a lot of money. And now, if they're losing those guys going into next mm-hmm. season, that frees a ton of cap space. 
but Pionk's going to get a raise to 4.5, probably something along that, maybe a little bit less, maybe four. Uh, Patrick Line is going to be making eight plus million dollars, depending on the season he has. So all that cap space that comes off the books comes back on fairly quickly with the line A extension and everything. Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah. And then on As top of, well, that, at weekends, they're bottom six, right? Like those are good bottom six players. Cops are very good player. Perot's a very good player. Yeah. Lowry's a very good player. Like those are not guys that you can easily replace on your lineup in your lineup. And not, I don't think any of those guys are going to be looking for major discounts. I don't think Perot's going to get four million again. But is he going to take less than like two point five? Yeah. I I don't know about that. Uh, Lowry, um, he's probably not going to take much of a discount either. And then Cops probably not going to take much of a discount either, right? Maybe in this current market where players are getting squeezed a bit. But again, you're and the and and the, those are aging yeah. guys as well, right? Like those guys. A lot of those guys are in their 30s. Yeah. So how effective are they going to be um, over the next couple of years? That's also a problem for the Winnipeg Jets. So yeah, Winnipeg's in a very yeah. tough spot right now, and I would not want to be their GM because they just have issues all over yeah. the place. And I'm, I honestly don't even really know where, where to even start with that team. Yeah, it's it's a lot yeah. of fixing needs. But to be they, done, they, they do have the said. core pieces that they need for a cup contender, right? Like they have their... Yeah. They have elite wingers. They have their number one center. They have at least their elite uh, number one goalie. Maybe I don't think they really have a number one defenseman right now. I don't think Josh Mercy is that guy. But they have a lot of the pieces that they need. It's just uh, it's it's tough for Shovel mm-hmm. Day off. Honestly, when yeah, I because I thought last year. Sorry, go 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 ahead. Like, not this last year, but the year before. Morrissey was looking like he could have been a top-pair guy for the Jets, but he kind of... Yeah, well, I agree. I did I did think Morrissey was looking to be kind of that top guy, but I, I've never seen a number one out of him. I've always seen just a really good top-pairing defenseman. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him as, like, a... Like, if you're talking about number one defenseman, you're talking about guys like Petrangelo. You're talking about guys like yeah. Jacob Slavin or Dougie Hamilton. Uh, like, those, those types of players... Obviously, we don't need to say that he needs to be a Victor Hedman or something like that, but you need, even on the lower end of the number one defenseman, like a Morgan Riley, I don't think Josh Morrissey has ever really been that guy. Uh, So it's... Future Norris winner Morgan Riley? (laughs) Well, we can all hope, but doubt that happens with his defensive game. So at least Josh Morrissey has the defensive side, but he doesn't have the offensive side, right? So I, I've never yeah. seen him as a number one. I've seen him more as a really good top pairing guy that you'd put beside the number one and you just have an elite, elite pairing. Yeah. So so they, they do need a number one, and I don't think they have that in their system currently. I, I don't think any of their defensive prospects are that guy. So uh, And yeah. how, many cup, how many cup teams have won without a number one defenseman? I can't think of one, right? I think Pittsburgh won. Defense wins championships. I, at least having one elite defense defenseman wins championships, I should say. I think Pittsburgh's the only team in recent memory where they didn't have their number one defenseman and they still won. But they had Crosby and Malkin. Yeah. And unfortunately, Winnipeg doesn't have Crosby. Crosby, Malkin, and two and two elite goalies in Murray yeah. and Flurry. Exactly. There you go. So. Yeah, that's that's a dream, right? <laughs> there. But then you can but then you can also make the argument that there's guys like when you have teams like Vegas. Well, okay, Vegas could also you could also consider an outlier because. They, it was their inaugural season, and they were, they had something to prove. But they came in, they went to the Cup Finals with Shea Theodore, which granted Shea Theodore is a, is a great defenseman, but yeah, at that time, I do not think he would be. I 
Yeah. Yeah. He would not be considered a number one defenseman at that time. So could call it an outlier, but I, I don't know. Personally, when I look at, when I look at Winnipeg's team, it, it gives me some, uh, some Toronto Maple Leafs uh, vibes and it's kind of scaring me, but um because if you look at and we'll get into we'll get into Toronto in a little bit, but like if you think about it, like my personal opinion, I think they do have the pot with some good luck and with some. Okay, granted, we'll take some, uh, like some. Uh, oh my God, what's what's no, what's the right word? Not regression. Um, uh, some improve, like some uh, progression. Progr- yes, progression. Thank you. My God, I can't I can't speak today. <laughs> um, yeah, it would it would take some progression. Some and granted, it will also take a few amazing seasons by the defenseman but i think this team does have the possibility to, to go far in uh whatever yeah division they're in well, the unless they're is, like you unless said, they're in toronto's division which first round exit <laughs> <laughs> well it's like you said right like <laughs> a lot of it depends on a lot of factors that could go one way or the other right like that's the problem with trying to predict standings it's because how do we know how you know, the Canucks goaltending is going to perform. Do we know that Hellybuck's going to have another Vesna season? Because the season before his Vesna season, it wasn't that great of a year. Like, it was fine, but it wasn't great, right? Yeah, he's yeah, been... He's, he's an had, on-off elite goal. I think he's had two... He's had one elite season, one insane Vesna winning season, and then one bad season and one meh season. I think that's kind of how I can describe Hellybuck. Yeah. So. You know, that's a wide range of possibilities you have going into next season, right? Uh, same thing with the Canucks. How mm-hmm. is Holtby going to perform? How is uh, Demko going to perform? Uh, Calgary's Markstrom still going to be as elite as he was this past these past two years, basically. Goaltending is really random. They could have a fall off there. Uh, and then the Oilers, right? Is Koskinen and Mike Smith going to really carry them mm-hmm. to second or third in the in the division, even if they have McDavid Drysdale. Oh, I'll I'll answer I'll answer that for you right now. They won't. <laughs> well, I like I, I, like I love McDavid. I love McDavid. I love I love the Edmonton team. Like they have an ama- they have an amazing team with McDavid Dry, uh, Dreisaitl. Uh Like, but like especially considering their top defenseman in in uh, Oscar Kleffbaum is going to be out for months, and I I I truly doubt that uh, that a tandem of Mike Smith and Koskinen will not will be able to carry them far the unless the they're Oilers, to make a trade for Sam Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, and the thing is the Oilers got worse defensively this season somehow, right? They brought in Tyson Berry who you know yeah. solid offensively but not good defensively at all. They brought in Kyle Turris who again solid offensively but a d- disaster defensively, which means now their top 3 centers, McDavid, yeah. Drysaitel and Kyle Turris, none of them can play defense or none of them do play defense at least. So <laughs> Yeah. They were already yeah, a bad and they somehow team. got somehow, worse. Yeah, and they made it a lot and worse. again, they could maybe count on some progression from Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, uh, maybe Yamamoto steps up a little bit more. But they, I don't Trying think a lot of it. See if Evan Bouchard can get some progression going. Yeah, maybe. But again, even him, right? He's not going to be a defensive star. He's going to be a solid offensive guy who needs some power play time to be really effective. Yeah. So they True. their defense is going to be a tire fire. And it already wasn't great. You, you know, you could watch them get dismantled by the Blackhawks in that playoff series. So, and Koskinen, while he had a great year last year, I don't think he had, he didn't have a Vezina worthy year. So, again, second for the Oilers is going to be tough. I just, I like yeah. believing in elite talent. So, I like to believe Connor McDavid, Dreisaitl are enough to at least bump them into the second or third best team in Canada right now. Whereas Montreal, they don't have any star mm-hmm. talent. They don't really have much star talent, but they do have 
an, a, a quality roster up and down. I'm questionable on their defense, especially with Joel mm-hmm. Edmondson in the back there. But their yeah. forward group is top to bottom, very, very good. They have a lot of guys on the bottom six that could easily step up to play second line minutes. Um, they have an okay defense, and then they have a very solid tandem. We'll see how Jake Allen does, but they have, a, as of right now, it looks like they have a solid tandem in that. Yeah, personally, in my opinion on Montreal, like, yeah, they have made a lot, they have made some improvements over the summer. Uh, but I think, I hope, or I, okay, not I hope, but like, I hope for, because I'm a, like, from a Leaf fan, I hope they, they do terrible but uh from like just speaking from like a uh like from the viewpoint of a montreal canadians fan like i'm like jake out if jake allen were to uh, excel this year and that would and they would it would allow claude julian to rest carry price more than usual then they they could be a scary team because yeah. a, a rested carry price oh god and Especially oh, come oh, yeah. we're not even talking about the progression from some of the younger guys too, right? Like how is Nick Suzuki going to be in his second season? How is Kotkaniemi going to be doing in his third season? How is, uh, if Victor Mate is even in the lineup, how is he going to do, right? And then on the back end of that, how is we- yeah. Weber and Petri regress a little bit? I doubt it because they'll have such a long time to rest and recover and everything like that. So I don't see much regression coming from them. So there's, there's definitely some mm-hmm. internal improvement in terms of, uh, progression from the younger players that can help them. But I do think, I really, really, really do think that people are overestimating how much they improved this offseason. I like the Toffoli edition. I, lo- I like Josh Anderson. But I don't think Josh Anderson is nearly as good as Max Domi. But I really think that Joel Edmondson signing hurts yeah. Montreal quite a bit, especially if he's playing 20 minutes a game for them. And it's it sounds kind of rude, but like Edmondson is not a good NHL player. And they're paying him for, I think, four point two no. million dollars or something like that. And they're yeah, four and, not, and a quarter sounds right. Yeah, exactly. And it's not only that they're playing him; it's that they're taking out a valuable defenseman out of their lineup. I don't know who's going to miss time. Maybe it's Kulak. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Mete. But both of those players are much better than Edmondson is. They're they're positive net value defensemen. And Edmondson cannot make a play to save his life. And I don't get how in a Montreal system that relies on fast. Uh, transitional play breakouts and a lot of p- applying a lot of pressure to the offense. I don't understand how he fits into that lineup at all. He can't make a play under pressure. He can't make a clean breakout pass. A Montreal team that relies so much on speed, he's like the complete opposite of that for that. Team. Yeah, he doesn't fit their build. Any, honestly, their I don't build. think he fits most teams' builds. I think, I think he makes a lot of. I think he made Carolina worse last season. I think he made. Uh, I think he did okay-ish on St. Louis, but again, he was covered by elite defensemen like Colin Pareko and Petrangelo and Vince Dunn and all those guys. Yeah. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a rough season for Montreal if they they think he's gonna be playing twenty minutes a night for them, which they paid him to do basically. Uh, sorry to interject, but. Uh... Getting back to Joel Edmondson, he signed for four years at three point five million a year okay. with a and with a um okay, a modified no trade clause where he he has to submit a ten team no trade list. Yeah, so it's gonna be hard to move him from that team. It's a flat cap world. I don't. I Montreal. I think they had a lot more potential than what they accomplished this offseason, in my opinion. I thought Montreal could be one of the teams that completely like changed, turned around that team and turned them into a legit 
legit, like really good playoff team. And I think I just don't think that they hit the heights that I thought they could with all that cap space that they had. Right. Like imagine, imagine this instead of going yeah. and getting Edmondson, imagine instead of trading Max Domi for Josh Anderson, uh, maybe they used all that cap space and they brought in Nate Schmidt and Ryan Murray. How much better does that defense core look now, right? Like that's a completely revamped elite yeah. defense core that's probably one of the best in the league. And instead they went and got Edmondson and Josh Anderson for that same amount, basically and signed him to a gigantic contract. Uh, maybe instead of breaking, yeah. bringing in Jake yeah, Allen, but- on a cheaper starter like Thomas Grice who got paid less, who took up less cap than him. Uh, there's just a bunch of different options there that I think – Montreal could have done that saved them a little bit of cap space and allowed them to bring in better players, basically. Uh oh one yeah. th- sorry, just interject here. We we could say that all we want, but like it can also like also a team like in terms of like free agent signings and all that, Montreal, it's like it's not the like the from what I've been I've read in the past, it's not that I like ideal of, of a spot for free agents. So like I'm curious as to that's one that's one thing I'd love to ask a guy like Mark Bergevin. Uh, conversation like if he's had conversations with free agents like for example like a Henrik Lundqvist like a Thomas Grice mm-hmm. and just to see and uh, only for only for them to say no we don't want to yeah come here because no, the good... media attention and whatever whatever that's a good it's what people used to like like what people used to say about Toronto before everyone before they became half from uh, half the team was from Newmarket and Scarborough <laughs> yeah like that that is a good point but like with Nate Schmidt with Ryan Murray like those guys would have been trades right so they don't have an option. Uh, luckily for Montreal Good but point. as for the goalie I think backup goalie is such an easy position to fix I think all the teams that yeah exactly, Put in David right? all, the, all the teams that have so many issues with backup goaltending I just view those guys as complete failures because there are so many options for backup goalies so many guys available for trades like the Leafs won and got Jack Campbell very good goalie making one point five million dollars i want to say and six 1.6 there you go and he and that was for fairly cheap right and he takes up a lot less salary and then that gives yeah more maneuverability around the cap to bring in better players like backup goaltending is important especially in a season where it's going to be condensed and maybe you don't want the goalie playing 60 or 70 percent of the games whatever it is so it is important, but it's also such an easy position to fix that goal that so many teams completely fail at consistently. And it, it blows my mind that teams are able to do that. And the reality is like it is a very random position. So I do get that. Like Jake Allen could completely flop next season. There's no denying that. Like he had a great season in St. Louis this past year, but the season before that was brutal. Like absolutely brutal. And that's why they had to bring in Bennington, right? So up and, up and down through back goaltending. So that's mm-hmm. why I don't like spending a lot of money on it. If you're going to spend a lot of money, I'd rather it be on the roster and you just, you know, pray that your backup goaltender, whatever you bring in that has shown well in the past, continues to show well. All right. And going back to Mete, you said like he's kind of an odd man out. And if you look, like, I'm not saying it's the ideal Canadians build, but it seems like they're trying yeah. to make their team big, heavy defensemen. For come playoff time, so a guy like Mete, why don't you just move him? If you're not mm-hmm. going to play him, he's yeah, got I agree. enough value. I agree. Right I think now. they want him as and like I think they see the condensed season and they want depth in their organization defensively. So if you know Edmonton, Petri, Weber, mm-hmm. or whoever the hell gets hurt, um, 
I think they want him there. But at the same time, that's going to be really hard for his development. He's still, I think he was drafted 2016, right? Like this kid is still very young. Uh, and I yeah. really like him. He's definitely better than Joel Edmondson. So it, and he's one of the few guys on that team that's a really legit puck moving defenseman that can move the play forward very effectively, make quick breakout passes, skates well under pressure, active in the offensive zone. Like Joel Edmondson is such the opposite of that. And it blows my mind that they're going to somehow sit Mate or sit Kulak and play him. Like it, I think it's such a fit. I think it's such a failure of a yeah. move from that organization. And I really don't like it. I see it. I legitimately see it as another all Carl Alzner move. Like that's the way I see it. I see Edmondson as a yeah. worse version of Carl Alzner at this moment in time, which is not looking good. The Laval, Ro- the Laval Rocket are going to have a great defenseman <laughs> next year. <laughs> exactly. But I think it'll be hard because Montreal, since they just gave him that deal, they're probably going to have to play him, right? Even with Alzner, you could see he wasn't worth it that first year, but they still played him, right? <laughs> So they're going to play him, and it's he's going to hurt that team yeah. in the first season, and then maybe the second, third, fourth year, whatever of that deal. They send him to the AHL at some point, but uh, it doesn't happen too often, right? There's very few examples. There's Alsner. There's uh, what other defensemen? I'm trying to think of defensemen that make like three or three million dollars or more that end up getting sent to the AHL. There isn't that many of them because teams kind of. It's like sunk cost. Yeah. Yeah, there you go, right? It's just like, like the sunk cost fallacy. They're just like, oh, no, I've already put invested all this money, and i got to play him. So it, that's more Mike like... Ma- Mike Matheson signed yeah. for four, seven more years. Oh, yeah, there you go. Mike Matheson, and, uh, former, formerly of, of uh, the Florida Panthers, currently uh, one of Jim Rutherford's uh, many, quote-unquote, amazing uh, summer uh, signings and trades. Yeah, yeah. You know, managed to replace Jack Johnson with Mike Matheson and uh, Cody Cece. That's going to work really well for them. <laughs> so, do you think that Jim Rother- we could see Jim Rutherford being fired? Uh, I doubt the it. End of this next uh, just because the GMs only get fired at the very extremes, right? So, if you if you look at GM firings, they have to do astonishingly mm-hmm. bad. Or have some very bad like financial kind of situations in order for the GMs to get fired. Crosby and Malkin they cover up a lot of holes for that roster. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the Jason Zucker move, and I think Pittsburgh yeah. still has a great top six. Um, Jason Zucker, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Rust, uh, whoever else fills up in that top six spot. Either Sherry or Kapanen, I guess. Yeah, so they have a very, very, very good top six. They lost yeah. a ton of value on the Kapanen trade. Like that was an absolutely ridiculous trade. I can't believe they gave up a first plus a very good prospect, plus a decent NHL player who they eventually got back anyway. So that, I guess that doesn't that part doesn't really matter anymore. But it, he, things have to go very bad for Pittsburgh in order for Jim Rutherford to get fired, and I don't see that happening. And so that's why I will say that he, uh, I don't see him getting fired. Yes, but once once his contract's up, he's gonna he's gonna pull a Cliff Fletcher and just uh, slowly fade away into the advisor role. <laughs> we'll see, right? Like he looks like a, a guy that wants to play for as long as he can possibly play. Or not play. That is uh, true. That is true. Oh, wait, the ver- NHL GM version of play, <laughs> manage. <laughs> Like, like Lamorello, make, make like, millions of dollars to ruin a team. Exactly. Like Lamorello, everyone talked about how he was so old and he wouldn't, after he leaves Toronto, he probably is going to retire. And then he went and he's the GM of the Islanders and he looks like he's going to be there 
for a while too, right? Like G- the thing with GMs is like they love it so much yeah. and they want to be a part of it and they love building teams and they they love their job and that's why a lot of them will never don't leave for a long time, right? Like you rarely see old guys retire. It takes them forever. Yeah, how like how long has David Poyle been? G- hasn't David Poyle, David Poyle, excuse me, been GM of the Coyotes since the, the beginning? He's the only GM. Uh, Nashville, yeah. He's the only. No, sorry, Nashville. not Coyotes. Sorry, Predators. My God. The Coyotes, a whole other story. And I feel like he should kind of be on the hot seat too, right? But again, with Nashville, they haven't bottomed out, so they haven't gone to any extreme, and therefore he still has a job. That's it's the way the NHL works. It's mediocrity wins the day. Yeah. If Nashville continues to be mediocre, he'll probably be fine. But if they become a, they turn into a tire fire, then he'll get fired. Mm-hmm. Right. So Nashville being mediocre, winning yeah. the playoff series every now and then, they'll be fine. He has the core group of players where they can probably make the playoffs for the next couple of years. Um, but that Nashville mm-hmm. looks like a mediocre team to me. Uh, and luckily, they have Roman Yosi, Norris Calibur defenseman, but. He 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 again. He's another yeah. guy that probably should be on the hot seat because a lot of the moves he's made just haven't worked out. But he won't be on the hot seat because the NHL loves mediocrity at the end of the day. Yeah, because a guy like Poyle building his team, he's got like a arguably a top ten decor, yeah. but his yeah. offense and just I, looks I, I will give him it's credit. He did fix his defensive issues this season. Like his bottom pairing of Fabro and. Or was it Fabro? Who was on the bottom pair? Uh, whoever was on the bottom pair for them, so. it was brutal. It could have like been. They, their top four did the work, but then that, that bottom pairing was an absolute disaster. So at least he went and he brought in some bottom pairing defensemen that are actually going to be effective for him. Uh, so I'll give him credit there. But they lost like Craig Smith. And yes, Craig Smith isn't like elite offensively 30, 40 goals. But yeah. They lost 25 goals out of him, basically. They lost Nick Benino for, for Luke Kunin, and Nick Benino isn't an elite offense, isn't an elite offensive player, but he's still a decent offensive player for them. And they replaced him with Luke Kunin, who doesn't move the needle offensively or defensively. So they got worse. Their bottom six got a lot worse, but their bottom pairing got a lot better. So again, you're going to see this team stay rather mediocre. They're not going to be at the top of their division, but they're not going to bottom out completely. They'll be on the playoff bubble. They'll probably make the playoffs, but nothing. They're not a cup contender by any means. And uh, speaking on their on their third pairing, uh, DailyFaceoff.com shows their shows their decor right now as being Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm, Dante Fabro, basically unchanged. And then the third pair is Mark Borowiecki and Matt Benning. Yeah. So I which so I like uh, Matt Benning. That's I think a lot. He's a very solid third pairing defenseman, and Borowiecki. Say what you want about him. Uh, he he's very physical, but he can actually he can play. He's just not great, right? But uh, but him over whoever that the hell that they had yeah. last year, somehow that's an improvement. Was it a Tenorti? Uh, Was it a Jared Tenorti? I, I I'm blanking on the names been. right now. Oh yeah, it Yannick Weber, I think. The Yannick other Weber Weber is one of them. Yannick Weber. Uh, I don't remember the other guy, but regardless, Burrowicki not great, but he's definitely a sixth to seventh NHL defenseman, whereas the guys that they had last year 
were like eight or nines. Like you wanted to run through a couple guys before you have to play the, those guys in, and they were starters. So I do think a bottom pairing of a bottom pairing of all Martin yeah. Marinsons. <laughs> there you go, right? Like that. If imagine the Leafs with the bottom pairing of two Matt Marinsons, like how how would how would Leafs fans lose their mind lose their minds, right? So. Matt Benning at least I lose I lose my mind when I see him play one exactly. game. Exactly. So Matt, Matt Benning, he's gonna carry that pairing and he's actually <laughs> a solid third pairing defenseman. And he he'd be a third pairing defenseman on probably almost every NHL team in the league, I'd say. I think there's very few teams that wouldn't that would have better players than the, yeah. him on the third pairing. So uh I, I like that addition at least, but they lost a lot in that bottom six. Okay, so we're starting to we're starting to run a little bit long and here. Uh, there's one topic I really I want, really want to get your opinion on, Mitch Miller, because <laughs> uh, that whole that whole scenario which has uh, pretty much uh, seen all the all the attention in the hockey world for the past yeah. week or so. What's your opinion? What's your opinion on that whole situation? So I've talked a lot about this in our Instagram story. I don't know if you guys have seen it or not. Yeah. So yeah, here here's I, the deal I, I with Arizona. Let's say let's say that we give them the benefit of the doubt for a second and maybe they thought this kid was a reformed human being and uh, they thought they could make it work with him. The fact that the management didn't think that this is something that they probably should have addressed like right away is a complete failure from a management position. Like how did they expect that nobody was going to come out with this story and look at it and go this looks a little bit problematic, right? Like the first thing they should have done, let's say, let's say Mitchell Miller was actually a good person and he actually apologized to his victim, which he didn't. And maybe, maybe the NHL team knew that, or maybe they didn't know that. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt there and say they didn't, even though that's a complete failure in its own right. To say you didn't even figure out if this kid apologized or not. You didn't, you didn't talk to the family. You didn't talk to anyone. Like, how did management not come out the next day and go, okay? Here's the story with Mitchell Miller. Like, this is the situation. You guys are all going to find this out eventually. And this is our plan to reform him. We think we think it's abhorrent at what he did, but he was 14 years old, and we think he's become a better person. Like, how did none of that happen, right? That's like the first move of PR, get in front of the story, right? Like, you see, yeah. the best organizations in the world, they deal with a PR crisis before it comes a, becomes a PR, PR crisis. You announce it yourself. You create the story, you manage the you, you manage create the story, story, you manage the image, you manage the information that comes out. That's what any PR team should do. And then I talked about, you know, how crisis management works. So let's say now Arizona screwed up. Um, they didn't think all this would blow back on them. First step is to come out and acknowledge the issue. CEO did not come out and acknowledge the issue. He said, you know, he talked about how um, Mitchell Miller was a good kid and that they think they can reform him and all that. They didn't address the issue. They called it. I want to say that they called it an unfortunate incident, which in PR and when you're talking about PR crises, yeah. the number one rule is come out and acknowledge the issue. The issue was not an unfortunate incident. The incident, the <laughs> the issue was he bullied this kid for I think six to eight years. Um, I think eight. I want to say eight years or six to six to eight years, whatever. Um, forced him to Sounds eat right. candy that was dipped in a urinal. He uh, called him the N-word repeatedly, told him to go pick cotton in the fields, so on. That mm-hmm. was That's what he should have said. He should have come out and said, this is what happened. That's the first thing. Acknowledging the issue, especially for people that feel like hurt by the situation, feel like 
the Arizona Coyotes have done them wrong. Like that's the first step because then at least they're taking it in as they know exactly what he did was wrong. And they're acknowledging the individual issues that this player had. They didn't do that. Uh, secondly, it had it had to be the CEO. So the CEO did come out and say it. So good on him for at least coming out and saying it was the issue. But again, writing a memo is not the same as going on live television or going on video and actually looking sincere, right? Anyone can. Yeah. I can sit here and write an apology letter that he released, right? It's much harder to go on camera and look at people with a straight face and say, this is our plan. This is what's going to happen. And they didn't do that. And then thirdly, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Overcorrect, and when I when I talk about overcorrecting, I mean you have to go out and, as I said, you already acknowledge the issue, but you said how you're going to fix it. You have to go into the very extremes of the situation and go, this is what we're going to do to make sure that something like this never happens again. This is what we're going to do to uh, fix the issue. You have to come out and do that, and they didn't. They just said, oh, you know, we think we're going to reform him in our organization, blah blah blah. No specifics, no details. Um, no mention of did this kid go and apologize? Like it's just a, so such a failure from the organization. It's actually kind of like I feel so bad for Coyotes fans, and I know everyone likes to make jokes about them not being there, not being that many of them, but there's you know a couple hundred thousand Coyotes fans, give or take, right? And it's so unfortunate that they have to deal with this situation. Yeah. And then Arizona ended up doing what everyone thought they'd have to do anyways, which is release this kid. Which meant that they wasted their fourth round pick, which means all, on top of the fact that they lost their first round pick to the Taylor Hall trade, lost their second round pick to the Soderberg trade, lost their third round, or was it the third round? Whatever. They lost no, it was they, they lost, they lost their, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but they lost their second round pick due to the um, the scandal with Cheka and the, I, I the um, oh my God, what, what was it? pick, isn't it? Oh, no, it was a, a set, yeah, second uh, was second round pick this year, first round okay. pick next year. Yeah, so there you go. So they lost their top three picks already, and then there's the next top pick, which is in the fourth round. They also had to give that up. And the thing is, on top of that, there's so many players at the in the fourth round that they could have grabbed that were equivalently good prospects to Miller. So it's just it's just such a disaster. And I get that he was higher up on some people's boards. Like I believe he was as high as the late second round on some people's rankings, but a lot of people dropped him off the rankings completely once they found out about the incident. So it, it's really unfortunate for Coyotes fans that they have to deal with all this. And a lot of this could have been avoided if the Arizona Coyotes came out early, said this is what happened. If they made sure that Mitchell Miller actually apologized to his victim, like all it would have taken was a quick phone call, talk to the mom of the victim, say, hey, we kind of want to hear about what happened. We're thinking about drafting this kid, but we want to hear your side of the story. PR crisis averted immediately if they make that call. No issue whatsoever because they could have come out and said, even if there was blowback from the Mitch Miller, and let's say he did apologize, which he didn't, they could have said, we talked to the mo- mother. We got her opinion, her side of the story. She's okay with it, blah, 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 right? And it could have been fixed right there, but they didn't do that. So it's just failures throughout the entire organization from the second they the second they you're even talking about drafting him all the way to the execution of removing him from the roster or removing them from the organization once they uh, decided to give up the draft pick right mm-hmm. so it, it's failure all around basically is all i can say yeah 
right, I got a quick follow-up. Hold on, hold on one second. Hold on one. Sorry to interrupt, but uh, there's one more thing in that whole situation. And um, so yeah, so one man's trash, another man's treasure. uh, Just came out. I think it was yesterday that SKA St. Petersburg is in contact with Mitch Miller about a contract from to play in the KHL this year. Surprising thing I've ever heard. What's your opinion? Wasn't it? Wasn't SKA? Wasn't SKA the team that um, that signed Brent Leipzig as well after that whole situation? Some team in the KHL, I don't remember which, but that's like the least surprising thing ever, ever, right? And I think yeah, it goes only in Russia. Only in Russia. All those guys are gonna. All the guys that can't that get removed from the NHL for whatever personal reasons, they go to Russia, right? Like the guy uh, who is a Slava Voinov. Um, yeah, Slava right? He beat he. Uh, I think he beat his wife, and then KHL welcomes him back with open arms, right? So the KHL doesn't give a shit what you've done; they just care if you can play hockey or not. And yeah. Mitchell Miller, he can play hockey, so <laughs> there you go. He can play, and he's gonna go there, and he's gonna make probably even more money than he would have made in the NHL, anyways. <laughs> Possibly, right? Yeah. Which, which, yeah, which that seems like Bro. a little bit of a preemptive. Uh, remarks since we haven't like since we well, haven't seen how this guy would develop he's only he's only 18 he's and a lot of development left and i think the the issue with the khl is it's not a development league so that might impact his development somewhat even if he decides to go to russia like uh he, like you see you see young players in the khl not most of them especially the less talented ones they don't develop very well Right, like Punt Colton right now. Yes, but with a K- with a KHL contract, sorry yeah. to interrupt, but with a KHL contract, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's the same. It's the same concept as the NHL, where you where they have the the VHL, which is their second tier, and they also have the MHL, yeah. which is their development for sure. league for I think it's for under sure, twenty one. In Russia, they don't. Care. So they don't there's care still about, there's still a possibility. The issue is they don't really care about your development. They care more can you play or not, right? Like you look at a guy like Punt Colson, uh, Vancouver Canucks prospect. I think he was drafted in the top 15 uh, in the draft last year. Ninth. There you go. So top 10. Who's sorry? Who's sorry? So Vancouver drafted Uh, him, and he plays like seven, six, five minutes a night in the KHL, and then sometimes they send him down. But his development is getting somewhat hurt by staying in Russia right now. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. Like, he plays in the VHL sometimes. He plays in the MHL sometimes, whatever. But he doesn't play enough there. And the KHL cares about winning, so they care that okay, he's worth more to us on the seventh, on the not on the seventh, on the fourth line, for us uh, playing like six, seven minutes a night. So, and same thing can happen with Mitchell Miller potentially, right? Like they can see okay, maybe he's good enough to play right now, but he's going to play a couple minutes a night, and maybe they don't care about developing him too much. So, let's just let's just see how much Russian gas he can take in one day. <laughs> All right, and uh, going back to my my follow up statement, like if let's say this happened twenty years ago, I don't want to sound racist or anything. Like I'm 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 not, but th- I don't think it would have yeah, been as much nobody of a problem twenty years ago because society is nobody would have cared twenty years like, ago. That would have been acceptable honest, like, twenty years ago. It probably wouldn't have even been a story. He put a all that would have happened was maybe it got it get yeah, picked exactly. up in the news. And then he'd come out and say, I'm so sorry, and everything would be forgiven, and everyone would move on. Like, that's just the reality of it. But it's a new world now. That's the worst yeah. part. Like, <laughs> like he could have fixed added. this so easily. This was such like, a it, fixable it, issue. It, like, how, how has it been four years since he went to court over this, and he hasn't apologized? Right? Like, in the story, 
it's sad because you in the story he yeah, didn't it, do it sad. alone he did it with one other friend and that guy apologized already and he came like crying to the family i'm so and saying you know and the mother mm-hmm. talked about how he apologized like right away was so sorry about it was genuinely sincere but then she said he mitchell miller didn't do anything <laughs> right mm-hmm. so even if like not only is this kid like an awful human being he's also an idiot how did he think this was never going to blow black on his face how did he not think i need to at least somewhat be genuine in this apology even if he didn't like care which he probably doesn't if we're being honest but how did he not like think at some point i should probably do this because it's going to come back and blow up in my face one day right it's it's such a it's such a bad look on him from just a person like a personal standpoint and just an intelligence standpoint if we're being honest yeah all right um matthew you wanted to do a sec a little second yes so leaf fan to leaf fan based off of the uh based on the additions that they made this summer with wayne simmons jimmy vc joe thornton uh, TJ Brody and, and Miko Lettinen on the back end, as well as Zach Bogosian. What are your thoughts on the improvements? Uh, if the Leafs improved, if they've uh, regressed a little bit, or yeah, so how do you think? What do you think? I think the forward group probably got a tiny bit worse, but the defense got much, much, much better. I think Miko Lettinen is a legit player. I've I spent a bunch of time looking at him in the KHL, and he looks amazing. He looks like. He honestly looks like he could potentially be a top four defenseman in the NHL. I don't want to like jump the gun on him, so I will say he's definitely a bottom pairing guy in the NHL. So that's a huge plus. TJ Brody's a legit top pairing defenseman. He was arguably the best uh, defenseman on the Flames last season, and that's not just me saying it as a oh uh, I'm a Leafs fan, so I'm so happy we got him. Like I talked to some of the Calgary guys, yeah, and some of them agreed as well. You look at the numbers, and the numbers show that he was the best defenseman on Calgary last season as well. And then Wayne, like they did take a downgrade in the in the forward group, right? Like, and Andreas Janssen, he's a legit top six forward in the NHL. He's a legit top six swinger. He was unfortunately injured a lot last season, but they lost a top six forward. And Simmons, though, I like what he brings to the team: the grit, the physicality. He's 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 not the player a lot of people think he still is, right? Like every everyone has this idea of Wayne Simmons being this awesome power forward score you know scoring at will like he was four or five years ago but the player he is now is just he plays physical he can hit he can he can still play in the league but he's he's a fourth line player really impact wise and but joe thornton's a very good player and he's still a very good third liner i think very good playmaker and he'll bring leadership to the room that they kind of they arguably need so i don't think they took a huge hit on the offensive side but it, they did lose a little bit of value there, but the defense is going to be so much better than it was this past season. But when you, but yeah, yes, I personally do agree with you that they did take a bit of a hit on the offensive side from a pure goal scoring standpoint. But even like, but like, let's be honest here when you got Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, John Taveras, and you got guys like, like Zach Hyman who really came into his own last year with like his, with a career season from a scoring standpoint. As well as a guy like Nick Robertson that's coming up, who can, yeah. who can fight for a top six, who could possibly uh, potentially like, fight for a top six role this yeah. year, along with like a guy like Joey Anderson, who I've seen multiple people say that he is a 
and I can't remember if it was Andrew Pilikaki or on YouTube or Steve Dangle saying that he is a younger, cheaper version of uh, Andreas Janssen with a with potential yeah. to grow. As he as he recently was just signed for three years at seven twenty five a year, yeah. which I I love that signing personally. Which if you because if you can get a young guy, I think he's twenty two years old, signed for three years at just above league minimum. That's yeah, Joey wrong. Anderson. I I don't see the top six upside with him that some people have talked about. But I definitely see him as a quality third line player. Maybe not coming into this season, but definitely next season. So I do think they got a steal of a deal there. I think he, I think he's at least value wise a big enough, a good enough replacement for Kapanen. Like I think they more than replaced Kapanen. So the only real loss that they had on uh, at forward was Andreas Janssen, right? Like that's the only real loss. And I think Nick Robertson, at least potential wise, is higher than that. Of, uh, is that of Andreas Janssen? So if Cap, if uh, Nick Robertson can come in, put up 20, 20 goals this season, like that's you're replacing a lot of the value Andreas Janssen has. And then Thornton's obviously an upgrade there over a guy like Frederick Gauthier or Kyle Clifford. So they did get a little, they did get fairly deep at forward too, right? Like the fourth line now, you're going to have. Joey Anderson, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, uh, Pierre Engvall. You're going to have uh, a bunch of NHL players fighting just to be on the fourth line, let alone the third line. And we're also forgetting about guys like uh, Alexander Barabanov, who they just signed out of the KHL, which, based on what I've read, he turned down a better offer, a better monetary offer from the Arizona Coyotes for a chance to play in Toronto. So you'd have to expect he would get at least a shot at, uh, at the four, four uh, left wing, right wing, whatever it may be. And yeah. So like, like you were saying, they are extremely depth. They are extremely deep at the, uh, from at the forward position. And it's going to be interesting, especially with their cap constraints. I think that right now they're about a million, just over a million bucks over the cap, maybe a million yeah. five. And it'd be interesting to see if they're, if they roll with a 20 man roster, if they got one sub, two subs, if they had, or if the NHL allows for an expanded roster and they uh, like they did with the bubble, and they're allowed to have twenty eight guys. Yeah, come in. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Like Barabanov, I I think here's the deal with the Leafs. The Leafs have now now formed a reputation, at least with Dan Milstein, where they have trust that they can actually develop these guys into NHL players, right? So the fact that they've developed this relationship means that they're going to get chances on KHL guys. Cause Dan Milstein represents like all these guys, like all the top KHL players that can potentially be coming over to North America, Miko Lennon. And mm-hmm. uh, I think he represents Mikheyev as well. Like since at least proven that they'll- he represents, sorry, yes, sorry to interrupt, but he, rep- uh, he represents Lennon, Rodion Amirov, uh, SDA, Simon Durr. I can't even pronounce that last name. Uh, Mikheyev, yeah, so Mikheyev, he also represents, uh, I think it was Igor Korshkov, basically every Russian on the Leafs, in yeah, the Leafs system exactly. he represents. And he represents a ton of other guys in the KHL as well. So the Leafs have now given him a sign that they're gonna, they're willing to try these guys out, give them a fair shot, develop them well. So they're going to have an advantage from that sense of, okay, now they can, now they're getting all these shots on KHL guys that could actually outperform. Like these are free free assets, right? Nico Lennon's a free asset. Mikheyev was a free asset. Asset. Barbanov is a free asset. So even if they aren't, even if Nico Lennon ends up becoming a bottom pairing defenseman, even if Barbanov doesn't make the NHL, it's a free get. They have and they've proven that they're willing to at least give these guys a shot, give them a real shot, develop them properly. So they're they're very lucky in that sense, and they're going to get a ton of additional free assets like that over the coming years. 
that will bring in cheap depth to replace guys that they need to lose that are going to be making two, three, four million dollars or whatever. Yeah, and especially like like you're saying, which they have, and it's as a Leaf fan, it's really it's reassuring for me to see that they're getting these guys now from Russia that are considered top tier Russian free agents. Like I remember, I don't, remember, I think it was like six, seven years ago, Petri Kontiola coming to the Leafs from Russia on a one year deal. I want to say he was in his he was in his early to mid thirties, and he only ended up he ended up playing maybe two games before he was sent down and then went back to Russia. Yeah, exactly. But that's one like it's it is reassuring to see, especially and then. And then it's even more reassuring when I see when I'm looking on on elite prospects right now, and I see Miko Lettinen with in 14 games with Joker at this year, eight goals, eight assists, 16 yeah, he's points. Killing it. Yeah, and I think it's great that they're getting guys that have a little bit more upside too. And worst case scenario, these guys are bottom pairing defensemen or bottom, you know, fourth line forwards or whatever, or maybe they don't even fit. But free asset, uh, free lottery, lottery, right? Yeah, especially in this day and age. Especially with the in this flat, day and age. So, yeah. so all these Russian guys, they have to come in and they have to take league minimum deals at least over the first one or two years. So again, free cheap depth and that the Leafs desperately need because again, they, they're paying their star forwards a lot of money and they have to fill in the depth um, with cheap cheap guys basically. And they're getting younger guys too, right? Because a lot of the time when you're getting free agents they're older but these russian guys are 24 25 26 whatever 23 so you're getting younger guys that might have be able to have an impact for longer and be more valuable assets to your organization so it's just it's good asset management all around and something that i've been like hammering the gun on over the course of the last year and a half i don't care how much you're paying your star players yes like it'd be ideal if you're paying uh you know, Mitch Marner, $8 million instead of 11. And you get that kind of, you get that wiggle room and stuff. But NHL depth is the easiest thing to acquire because teams do not know how to value bottom six guys very well. They know, they value the stars pretty decently, but the depth in the NHL does not get valued very well. And there's all these guys that can have much bigger impacts on their cap hits suggest. And they're always available for league minimum deals, right? So again, you talk about Joe Thornton or Jason Spezza. They're going to outperform $750,000. There's no doubting that, right? Like they're going to provide more value than $750,000. Are yeah. they going to provide 2 million value? Maybe, probably, I'd guess. Are they going to provide 3 million? Maybe, probably not. We'll see. But there's guys like every single year, there's so many NHL players that yeah. get picked up on league minimum deals that are going to outperform it. You look at Patrick Maroon on Tampa, Nick Cousins on Vegas. There's so many bottom six guys that will continue to get paid very little and will outperform their deals. And those are the easiest guys to get in the NHL. It's not easy to get stars, but it's easy to get guys to fill around. So that's why I never had a, pro- I never had a major problem with, uh, with Dubas playing the stars that much because I believe – that he at least he's shown so far that he knows how to go and get that cheap depth that can outperform their league min contracts. Exactly. All right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Low risk, high reward. Uh, bro, do you got anything else you wanna you wanna get into? No, I think I think this is. Yeah, uh, so thank you for, for your time, Eric. I think this is uh, this, this fun one really talk. Well. All right, it was a pleasure to have you on. Hope to uh, hope to have you on again soon when the season, cl- hopefully closer to when the season starts. Yeah, up definitely again. happy to be on anytime, guys. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. 
Hope you guys enjoy as much as Matthew and I did interviewing Eric from Talking Hockey. And I'd like to thank Eric for coming on. Hope we can have him on sometime soon again. And I'd like to thank Matthew for joining the team. Thank you so much for having me on. And uh, it's going to be a great ride. We're only just getting started. Thank you guys so much for listening. And have a great week.